welcome to today's podcast episode for Ignite City Church. Uh, we are looking at First um, Kings chapter three and verse six from today's Bible reading in our in our Bible reading program. Uh, if you're not part of it, uh, if you don't, if you're not part of the Bible reading plan and would like to be, uh, there should be a link in the description of the podcast that where you can sign up for it, and we'll get you connected with that. Um, but it, there's a couple things that stood out to me. One in particular, and I. Um, I don't know. It's a good reminder for me as I was um, as I was spending time with the Lord today in, in His Word. So so far here in chapter three of First Kings, um, we see Solomon. He's in the process of building the temple for the Lord. Uh, Solomon has gone off to Gibeon uh, to sacrifice there to the Lord. I mean, think about it, he's presented like a thousand sacrifices to the Lord. Um, but he went to Gibeon because it was the most famous place, according to uh, chapter three, verse four. And then, you, and then it says that while there, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and asked him this question, what should I give you? That was it. One simple question. Not, there's no context, just asks him the question. And so I thought, well, what would I? What would I ask for? What would you ask for? Um, I would love to hear what you ask for. If you already have my cell number or email, send me a text, send me an uh, email. But I would love to... But, it's it's almost like a, a genie question, right? When a genie, a magic genie, says, "I'll give you three wishes," and everyone's like, "Well, on the third wish, I'd ask for three more wishes and keep going." And I, oh, that's cute. But here comes God going, "What should I give you?" And then you look at Solomon's response, um, starting in verse well, in verse six, he spends time first. He just he spends time describing to God God's faithfulness, starting with David and now on to him. So he starts, he starts by saying, God, you've been incredible. You've been so faithful to first to my father, David, and now to me. And then you see his request. You see what it is that he asks for in verse 7. So we're going to read 7 through 9. It says, Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people who have chosen, I'm sorry, whom, um, among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Notice Solomon's request to God was not, hey, give me a ton of money or make me more powerful than anyone or make me more, uh, make me, let me have more honor than anyone. His request was simply this, give me a receptive heart uh, or a wise and discerning heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. And I think the key to that, the key to the reason why I asked that is found in verse seven. He says, yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. What I loved about that, it was, said, it was, it was a conviction statement for me when I read it. And here's why. I've been in quote unquote vocational ministry, and that just means it's my job. And yet, every follower of Jesus is a minister. Uh, we're all called to the ministry. We've all been called and gifted, spiritually gifted. Uh, and those spiritual gifts are to, uh, to um, we're supposed to use it for the benefit of the church community. And then as the church community is healthy and growing together, we go out and make disciples. We do ministry with people and we serve and we, we're generous and we do the things that Jesus told us to do and we we, we strive to live our lives just like Jesus did, all by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so, but yet here Solomon says, yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. And so I can say, well, vocationally, I've been, uh, I've been in leadership ministry or pastoral ministry for about 28, 29 years, give or take. 
And so I can find myself going, well, I've got tons of experience and therefore I already know. And it was a conviction for me that I don't know that I should ever get to the point where I feel like I've arrived, but rather that I should be always arriving. I think, when, I think we, we, it's a dangerous place for all of us, especially for those who have some kind of leadership position, to get to the place where you feel like you've arrived because you do have a lot of experience. But what can happen then is that pride can jump in and we become less teachable and less open to new ideas, less open to conviction that the Holy Spirit might convict us of something that we're doing wrong. We might find ourselves doing the same thing the same way because it's always worked that way. And and don't get me wrong, I believe that there's a place for simplicity. I really do. But I don't want to get to the place where I've arrived because when I get to that place, then I'm no longer moldable and teachable, and I won't be listening for God's instruction. Um, I might even look in the Word and try to read it through my own my own preferences. But when God might be trying to speak something specifically to me from somebody else or through somebody else, and maybe that person has less experience, but what if I don't hear it and yet it's right on? It's great. It's great information. It's great advice. Because if I live in a place of arrived, arrived means pride. At least I, I, I equate arrived with pride. Arriving is this sense of humility. It means I'm still involved in the process. So David, or not David, but Solomon said, they're going, I'm just a youth with no experience in leadership. Now he has a little bit, but he's saying, I have none. Now his leadership call was so much bigger than mine or anybody else's that, we, that I've ever met. He's leading a whole country and he's, uh, he's in succession to David. I mean, David has passed away. Now Solomon has taken over. And David was an incredible king. Yes, he had some sin, man. He, dealt, he, 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 made, he really did rebel against God in some major ways. But especially before all that, when he's inquiring of the Lord and starting off, he was, a, he was a leader. And even after he fell and repented, he was a leader, but had to deal with all this stuff because of his sin. But now you have Solomon saying, I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. And I just made it my prayers that God, please allow me to always live in that place where I feel like I have no experience. I have no experience. You said, I go, well, isn't that degrading yourself or that you're, is it really true that you have no experience? Well, compared to the experience that God has, I have no experience. So it might be best to say this, God, allow me to always be in the process of living with the mindset that I have no experience while I learn from the experiences that you've brought me through, which has brought me to a place of hopefully wisdom. So maybe that's a better way to a better way to word it. But because he had that, he said, I want a receptive heart to judge your people and discern to discern between good and evil. And it said that it this request pleased God. It pleased him so much that he he gave him wisdom more than anyone else who ever lived and would ever live. And then in addition to, that's how it says it in my, the translation I've been using for my quiet times, which is the Christian Standard Bible. It says, and in addition to, he gave him riches and honor, more than anyone. And so, and now all of a sudden, this is what could happen. We say, okay, so if God asks you one question, trick him. <laughs> As if we really can. Trick him, ask for wisdom, and then he'll give you what you really want. Friends, may we not ever get to that point where we want stuff more than we want God. That we don't want... We don't, we don't want just stuff because that's just fleeting. We always want something more. But that which is fulfilling. But also, notice he connects it to, I want to do what you've given me to do correctly. And so he asks for it. And then you see Solomon's wisdom on display. Uh, two prostitutes come before him. Uh, both of them, they're roommates. Um, they both have babies about the same time. 
One, um, when, they, when they wake up one morning, one woman had, um, had fallen asleep and laid on her baby, not knowing it, and the baby died. The other one was laying there with her baby. But while the mother whose baby had died, um, she thought, oh, gonna, I, don't, I'm, I'm, I want my baby, or I want a baby. She then takes her dead baby and takes the live baby from the other mother, takes the live, the, the live baby for herself, and places her own dead baby next to this other woman. And so they come before Solomon, and they and they um, the 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 mother of the living baby, the true the true mother for the living baby, presents the case before Solomon. It says everything that happened, and so all of a sudden Solomon's response was, well, "Someone get me a sword." And he's, as he has the sword, he goes, "Let's just cut the baby in two, and then each of you can have a half." And the one who's uh, the woman whose baby had actually died said something like, "Yeah, cut the baby in half." But the true mother is the one who said, no, don't do any harm to the, to the baby. Let her go. Or let, let my baby go. Or let the baby go. Now, here's the thing, friends. When Solomon heard it, he looked at the woman who had said that. No, no, don't sacrifice her. Don't kill the baby. And said, this is the true mother. Give the baby back to her. Friends, Solomon had this wisdom. This is, this is God's wisdom on display. But he also knew the, he knew the state of humanity. And so he tried something, but he thought outside the box and was able to display the wisdom that God had given to him. So we see his request is answered, and then we jump all the way to chapter 6. And it starts talking about verses 1 through 10. It starts talking about the details of the, of the temple and how it's made and everything that's uh, the size, the dimensions of all these things. And then you get to chapter 6, verse 11. Now watch this. This, is, this stood out to me. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you were building... And that's all that God says about the temple. That's it. He doesn't say, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, hey, as for this temple you're building, I, I want it to be this size and this size, and I want this kind of material, and I want these gold rings. And, and maybe there's a connection, and if I look at the dimensions, if we were to take the dimensions of the temple that Solomon set up and compare them to the tabernacle, realizing the temple is much bigger. Uh, it was a seven-year process to build that thing. The tabernacle was not. Uh, but maybe, maybe it's a larger scale and definitely more, more grand, a uh, grander building rather than just a tent that God was fine with. But God doesn't mention anything else about the temple. He just says, as for this temple you are building, and then says, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, keep all my commands by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. Friends, that's all he says about the temple. In fact, he doesn't say anything about the temple, except for the last line in verse 13. I think the heartbeat behind it, God's only mention of the temple is at the beginning, and then he gets to the heart behind the temple, which is the last line. The heart behind the temple was not so that there'd be a place, but rather is a representation of the fact that God wants to dwell with his people. He says, I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. Friends, if you go back to Exodus, the purpose of the tabernacle was not so that God had a home. He didn't care. It was a representation of the presence of God. The tabernacle was placed in the very center of all the tribes of Israel. All a couple million people surrounding the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the dead center. Why? Because God wants to dwell among He wants to dwell among the I'm sorry, He wants to dwell in the midst of His people. He wants to dwell in the middle of His people. Friends, that's the that's the heartbeat behind the temple. Where Solomon's laying out all this stuff about gold and um, everything's covered in gold and all this expensive materials. God's whole heart is, is what? I just want to dwell among the Israelites. And, and 
if you'll walk in my statutes, and I, and I think this is now applying to the whole people of Israel, but he's especially to him as the leader. If you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, man, I'm, I want to dwell among my people and, I'm not a, and I won't abandon them. And so a couple questions, a few questions that came to my mind. Have you become so consumed with every single choice that, that you've forgotten the big picture? Well, how do I bring this up? Well, again, chapter 6, 1 through 10, it's all the descriptions of what it is that Solomon has decided this is what the temple is going to look like. And God, it doesn't seem like God gave him any instructions as the, with, the specific, with the specific things that he wanted and how he wanted them put together. When it came to the temple, Solomon had this idea. But the heart of it was God wanted to, God wanted to dwell with his people. That's the heart. That's the big picture. Now, it doesn't mean that, God's, that God never uh, cares about the details. That's not true. He, he definitely does care about the details. But, friends, when, we not, when we're not sure what we're supposed to do, and I've used this example before. I remember uh, a buddy of mine met Dallas Willard a long time ago. If you, haven't, if, if you haven't read his books, I highly recommend his books. Asked him the question, how do you know uh, what the will of God is? And he used the example of, well, when my, my, when my kids were little, and they wanted to play. I just said, yeah, go play, in the, go play in the yard. Just stay in the yard. And the goal that he had was, yes, go play. And I feel like when God's like, I want you to live. He's like, I want to give you the freedom to live. And so, but just stay in the yard. And he says, the fence is the word of God. You can't ever go outside of the word of God. And if God doesn't give you the specifics, then maybe he's given us the quote unquote freedom to make some choices so long as we're staying within the, the boundaries, quote unquote, the boundaries of what the word of God says. To enjoy this walk with God, to enjoy this life with God, rather than just trying to deal with every single checkbox when maybe God hasn't set a checkbox in front of us on that specific thing. That's the first question. Next, the next is this. Are you weighed down by building something presentable for God that you've missed the heart of God altogether? Friends, to know that I'm, I, was, I was called before I was born, that God decided to call me into relationship with himself that means he called me before I was perfect, and I'm not even close to perfect. It's not like he doesn't call a perfected version of me. He called the sin-filled, rebellious version of me. But this was all before I even had an opportunity to breathe. It was before time began, before the creation of the world. I was chosen in him. So me presenting myself before God, it can never be, uh, it can never be separate from the fact that I am already presentable before God because of Jesus. And therefore, whatever it is that I'm doing in order to, quote unquote, present myself to God is not done so that I can be accepted by him, but because I already am, that I'm already accepted by God, but I want to live my life in a manner worthy of Jesus out of worship. I want to worship him. It's out of love and adoration rather than trying to present something that I feel is presentable, but not knowing that I've already been presented before God in Christ and therefore found holy. Friends, if we try to do it outside of our, what our identity is in Jesus, we're going to find ourselves jumping back into legalism, bound. Uh, we're in bondage to all the rules, not knowing or not remembering the heart behind what it is that God wants us to do. God desires for us to obey him. Why? Because he has his joy in mind for us. His commandments are for our good, not just for appeasement to him. So that's the second one. The third is this. Are you so determined to build something impressive to God that you've forgotten that God desires more to be with you than for you to build something for him? And this might, uh, I think this applies to all of us, but for those of you that may have a, you're, maybe you're leading a ministry um, or you lead a business or whatever, but you're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something impressive to God. 
but you're not spending time with them. You're not enjoying them. You're not walking daily with them. You're not walking moment by moment with them. You're not abiding. You're not remaining. You're just trying to build something that's going to be impressive. Friends, I think you're missing the point. Guys, if, if God was content with a tent, and he's, he's the one who said, I want a tent. Just set up this tent so I can be in the midst of my people. Friends, he was, I don't think he's the one that asked for all this other stuff to be built. He's fine with a tent. What he prefers most of, or what, he prefers mo, what he prefers more of is this, us. And it doesn't mean that we can't strive to do this incredible work for him. Of course we can. But it can never be at the expense of abiding in him and, and remaining in him and loving him and walking with him and enjoying him and being enjoyed by him. It can never come at the expense of that. He did not come down across and come back from the dead so that I could do things to impressive or build impressive things for him. He died, came back from the dead, and called me into relationship with himself so that I could be with him and he with me. And so a couple key takeaways that I wrote down in my journal this morning was this, um, and I'm going to apply it for all of us. May we never live as those who have arrived, but only as those who are arriving. Remembering it's a process. So Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, he doesn't get into the details of it. He's like, I want you to do justice. And we look at what justice is based upon Scripture. What is, what is righteous living? What is unrighteous living? What is, what is good? What is evil? We want to live in those things that are pleasing to God. To love kindness, that we're going to show kindness to humanity. We're going to show kindness to each other, to each other's brothers and sisters in Jesus. And then he could have left it there. But the heart behind it all is to walk humbly with your God. For me to walk humbly means that I can never live my life thinking that I've arrived, but only that I'm arriving. That's what keeps me humble. The second, the second key takeaway was this. Be devoted more to the process than the product. Be, be devoted more to the process than the product. Now remember, the process of the building of the temple was seven years. The process for, for God building us, which is his temple, we are his temple. Our bodies are the temple. So we, the, the body of Christ, we, we, we're the representation of the temple, the presence of God, um, it's a lifetime. He's constantly working us and changing us and building us up. But may we never be more devoted to the product, like the end product, more than the process. Let's, let's walk humbly with God and not just try to build something for him. Friends, I hope this is helpful. Thanks for taking some time. Thanks for letting me hang out with you today. Hope you guys are doing well. We'll talk soon.